we're overcoming some technical difficulties here, folks. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, uh... every sports fan has an opinion. Well, these are ours. Ours. Welcome to Brock and Pep's Unsportsmanlike Convo. And here are your hosts, Brock Fleming and Pep Cariotti. Good evening, everyone. Pep, how are you doing today? I'm excited, buddy. It's game day. Let's do this. It is game day. Game three, NBA Finals. Um, Man, the excitement around... This series is, you know, equivalent with a Canadian team being in the Stanley Cup. So I've heard because I don't even remember when the last time that happened. <laughs> Montreal, Can- Ottawa Senators. Was it in 2007? Anybody else? I don't know. Unless the Habs have been more recently. That's somebody. Oilers far... made it, I think, a couple of years before that, maybe. Uh, the f- Flames. The Flames. Were, I remember following the Flames at one point with the big red yeah. sea. Uh, anyway. This is a point where even in Canada, okay, so if you got a, a Stanley Cup Canadian team, there are still haters from other Canadian teams that don't want to see that happen. The Raptors, everybody is on board. There's not one person I've seen who is hoping for Golden State. There's there's a map, I think, that they, they uh, tweeted out or somebody did about what every state in the U.S. and who they were cheering for. And I think it was everybody except for California. And it might even have just been Oakland was going for the Raptors. Uh, so it is, uh, you know, it's something that I haven't experienced and it, and it's, it's exciting. It's brought basketball under a microscope in, uh, in Canada, which is, I think is well overdue. And there was a, a, an article today in the news about how the city of Ottawa, and I want to touch upon this with you later, how the city of Ottawa has spent uh, X amount of money on soccer fields and football fields and, you know, certainly hockey arenas around the city mm-hmm. and a province, really, because hockey is just huge. And hockey's all year round for these kids. But really, it's virtually impossible to find gym time to play basketball as a kid. There's a lot of – are there outdoor courts? Sure. But is there a controlled environment where you can go in, inside and play basketball in the summertime when the school's out? It's scarce. As an adult, I have a hard time finding a gym. So it's very difficult. And I think with the Raptors being in the finals, it's put a microscope on basketball in this, you know, province, city, but country as well. And it's a popular sport. It's lost a little popularity over the years, but it seems to be gaining some momentum. No coincidence. So it's a, you make an interesting point, Brock, in terms of the, how everybody's just on board with the Raptors and it's, highlighting basketball as a as a career choice or as a sport choice for kids and I you know you know me I'm a huge I'm a huge baller I love basketball I play basketball I've played it all my life I've coached it so <clears throat> there's a soft spot in it just like the football there's a soft spot in that for you basketball is the equivalent for me so anyway I'm jacked uh we're, we have some interesting topics to talk about today don't we we sure do um first and foremost we are officially on apple podcasts wow we are officially on apple podcasts and for me that's the only place i listen to podcasts so when you finally kind of see your own get into that um that was a big deal for us and uh shout out to everybody who's already liked it rated it reviewed it shared it um listened to hopefully um you know obviously we appreciate all of our listeners and uh 
a special shout out to the one listener in Trenton, New Jersey. I uh, figured out <laughs> how to check out the analytics and I found uh, someone in Trenton, New Jersey. So um, we're starting to, to, to grow, Pierre, which is great. Hey, man. That's I just love it. And uh, we we have some amazing friends and family. And like I said in, in a Facebook post, we're podcast fledglings, but we have a, years of experience in terms of playing sport, being involved in sport, watching sport, you on a collegiate level, me on a sort of an amateur level and a coaching level and as both as fans. So I hope our people are enjoying this. I certainly am. I know you are for sure. Uh, <laughs> and for those listeners, Brock's the tech guy. Apart from being a great analyst, he's also the the brains behind everything that's in my office right now, and including a microphone and uh, you know an iPad set up for all this stuff, and you know uh, any any platform that we're on. I can't take any credit at all. I just I just e transfer him the money, and that's that. But uh, the <laughs> B boy is responsible for all this. We have great families and great friends Definitely. who've made kind of all this response all this happen. So I'm uh, thank you to everybody listening and. Uh, I'm gonna get, get teary-eyed here. It's emotional. This uh, is emotional. That's what it is. Woo. Yep. Sports is supposed to bring out emotions. Woo. And as we're gonna to talk today, watching game two of the finals, some of those emotions have been brought out in terms of um let's we'll talk refereeing and certain calls that are made and, and, and not made. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk a little bit about uh, the state of the referees in, I guess, the four major sports, really. But um, this kind of came to light with some of our texts back and forth during Game 2 and uh, the NBA Finals. Um, and you had some strong thoughts on the current state of referees in these sports, and I'd love to hear it. Well, it's it's such a broad topic that I don't know if one podcast will will do this justice, but I'll, for today, I'll focus on basketball and the refereeing style in basketball and, and where it's been, where it is now, and where it might be going, which is slightly concerning for me. So if we dig back a decade, decades really nothing, you know, 2009, 2010, if we look back to the state of basketball back then and how it was refereed, <clears throat> You know, you'd have to say that it was players didn't take advantage of referees uh, by being out of control. And that's I think that's the biggest change in refereeing in the NBA is that players seem to get rewarded now versus 10 years ago. If they're out of control, they're rewarded by foul shots. Whereas back in the day, Mm -hmm. if you were out of control, you were punished. Now a player can go to the basket at full steam put his head down, make no attempt to dodge a defender and get rewarded for that by initiating contact. 15, 20 years ago, we would teach players. You could see it in college and you could see that translated into the pros. We taught players how to play under control, how to change pace, how to size up your opponent. And that is how you were coached. That is how you played. And that's how it was refereed. Well, nowadays, the referees have sort of lost control. And if you ever watch a typical NBA game, the game's out of control. A lot of the times, mm-hmm. players are up and down the court almost as fast as they can, drawing or initiating contact, and they're getting rewarded for them being out of control. On top of that, I don't know what a carry is anymore. I don't know what a palming violation is anymore. I don't even know if they're in right. the rule book. You know, 
in the day, and I keep saying in the day, in my time, the 90s, 2000s, certainly not the 2010s, the game has taken a, a turn for the more athletic, more speed is of the essence. You know, the big man has sort of lost his way in the NBA. Yeah. But what is a palm? What is a carry? When a player crosses over, their hand sometimes, in some instances, if you're watching the game closely, is underneath the basketball. So referees in the NBA, I don't know if it's their training. I don't know if there's a lack of training from the upper levels. I don't know if it's just the game is just so fast now and the players are so athletic. Yeah. It might be a combination of the two where the referees cannot keep up with the players. And on top of all that, the players are getting away with way too much. And a couple of years ago, the NBA and the competition committee made a concerted effort to say, hey, listen, guys, no more chewing out the refs after a call. If they make a call and you say one word that is egregious, like something, something violent or something you know, aggressive, like a, like a swear word, uh, you were teed up. And that was about two years ago. And it had a moderate effect on the game in terms of uh, the respect for referees. Now, if you watch Draymond Green, every time he, gets, he creates a foul or he makes a foul, he's turning to the referees and he's screaming everything. You could hear him from, from your couch. Like, it's absurd. So the game has taken a turn for the aggressive. The players seem to run the game and dictate the game. Coaches seem to get away with murder. And there's no consistency in NBA refereeing. None at all. And for those of you who argue that hockey referees are a little bit more out of control, the, the game of hockey is so much faster. Guys are on skates. Uh, they, they're using, they have tools in terms of sticks and, and ice skates, and they're well protected. There's a lot to see. And I think NHL referees do a great job. Uh, you know, I think they do a wonderful job considering how difficult the game is to referee. There's and, a lot more of them, the too, right? Uh, uh, like literally on the court like there's literally the two refs plus two linesmen so you know there's there's you know in basketball there's no offsides and whatnot but there is a backcourt or there might be you know if you had a guy that was just you know on e either end of the the court and watching just inside the key maybe or i exercise anyway i'm just saying there's more uh there's more guys on the ice but i totally agree of the speed of the game now basketball if you know game two is any indication and the raptors start playing like the warriors it's back and forth and it's you know i'm tired watching it i can only imagine being a ref trying to run after these guys and you know make calls at the same time but um anyway continue if that's you know and you make a great point are they are they in shape enough to keep up are they uh who's making the right call oftentimes you'll see a call underneath the basket that's made by the referee at half court when there's another referee standing right in front of them. It doesn't make any sense. You pulled up uh, a great scenario. I think it was a Sixers, um, might have been the Sixers series, where you, you highlighted and you, you took a snapshot and sent it to me of a guy with his foot on the line during a free throw. Yeah. Was that you? That was yeah. you, right? That yeah, sent yeah. me that? Yeah. No violation. So there's so much, the inconsistencies in the NBA, it's, it's really, really, really quite bad. And on top of all of that, You've got a handful of referees who are worse than everybody else. Okay, Mark Davis has no business refereeing. I don't know what kind of man he is. He might be a great family man. He might be a good athlete. He may have played in the NBA. But he is one of the worst referees in all of pro sports. And I'll put him up there with Angel Hernandez in terms of uh, refereeing their sport mm -hmm. and, and just not having a feel for the game. Take, take the temperature of the game, Mark. 
You know, he makes some absurd calls. He's inconsistent on both ends. And, you know, if, if I were to have to pick what violation is called the least, what violation is called the most, and what violation I have no idea what they're calling, the least is traveling. We see, I see traveling almost on Ugh. every play, and it's just not called. Yep. Clay Thompson most, took about 18, 18 steps there last game. And it, it was a, in slow motion. It was, I don't know how, it wasn't uh, obstructed view. Like, how do you not, you got to count to three. That's it. And it was a clear travel. Still give it to him. All right. Whatever. He caught the ball. You're allowed to take two steps after you catch the ball without a dribble. He took three. Right. In fact, I think he took four. <clears throat> no call. The one of the things I see in the NBA very often is the is the charge or what's a charge or what's a what's a block, <laughs> and it's it's a real simple. If you're moving your feet, it's a it's a it's a it's blocking a block. foul, right? If you're if you're stationary, and the the man hasn't left their feet, it's a charge. Unless it's your feet are in that zone. Unless Pardon? your feet are in that little zone underneath. And, and then you've got that, and you've you've got the restricted area where if you're standing in it, it doesn't matter what you do, the foul is on you. Right. Now, they've been a little bit more lenient with that, I guess, over the last couple of years, and if a guy's holding his spot, they've even allowed players to jump straight up, straight down with their hands right up, and it's no foul. But oftentimes, they will call a foul. Marcus Gasol gets called on that all the time, and it makes no sense to me. He goes straight up with his hands right up in the air, and they'll call a foul, uh, you know, uh, saying that he's initiated the contact. See, offensive player has been initiating the contact. They're the ones that should get the offensive foul. So I think that's what upsets me the most with the NBA is that these guys, I think it brings me back to my initial point. These guys on offense are the ones initiating the contact, but they're getting rewarded for being out of control. So that's what it upsets me the most. And the worst call in the NBA, the one that's been rampant and they're trying to get rid of it is – the players taking three-point shots by pump faking, getting the guys off their feet, and then sticking their legs out to draw contact. Yeah, And that, I mean, that started all with James Harden. But, you know, Steph Curry tried it last game. He didn't get a call. Clay Thompson actually pulled his hamstring trying it and right. didn't get a call. So that call in the NBA, they've got to get rid of that call. It's killing the NBA. It's killing the NBA. Guys are, guys are hoisting up threes now knowing as long as I pump fake, I'm going to get the guy to reach and I'll get a, I'll get a three-point play, sometimes a four-point play. So... The refereeing in the NBA, out of all the four sports, the, I say the four major sports, uh, you know, football is a tough sport to referee, but they do a pretty darn good job. Yeah, and I think you're, uh, you're right. We can go into a lot and we can analyze all those refs, but sticking on basketball, I'm 100% in agreement. Leo Routon's actually, I think, quoted saying, and I said he quoted, this is paraphrasing because I don't have the actual quote, but it was, uh, Clay Thompson, don't mess with the, the basketball karma gods or something like that, where if you're trying to draw a foul and then you end up getting hurt because of it, he's like, that's just basketball karma. And Golden State, Cousins, Green, you know, Curry, Clay, they are all very experienced and know how to draw fouls. The amount of time that I've seen Clay, uh, sorry, I guess it would be Steph. Steph burns somebody. Then stops on a freaking dime, throws his shoulder back into the defender while he jumps to try and take a shot that he has no business making, which he can still make those, but he's not even looking at the basket. He's looking at the man. Those are the fouls that drive me nuts. Why is that a defensive foul when the offensive guy is clearly initiating contact? 
And this, I mean, this is coming for those listeners who don't know. I played basketball in Sage with Pierre. Um, I think it took me 12 games before I actually finished the whole one and not got fouled out. So I took a lot of fouls and I never understood how some, some would be called. And this, these are the, these are the ones that annoy me from a couch perspective even. So. And, and yeah, exactly. And it's the, it's the whole initiation of contact and who's initiating on top of the initiation of contact. Are they under control? Right. Is it a controlled uh, initiation or not? Is, has a defensive player, um, I don't even know what the term I'm looking for is, has a defensive player antagonized the offensive player to create contact for them? There's, there are many factors involved that favor the offensive player in the NBA. And it, I, I don't know how you play defense. I, I don't know how you play defense in the NBA anymore. I'm, like, how do, you, how do you play good, solid defense by moving your feet when the second you put a body on somebody, you're getting called for a foul. So it must be impossible to play perimeter defense. I don't know how you guard somebody at the perimeter anymore. You, you try to shuffle them off to the sideline, which is what, how we were taught to use the sideline as an extra defender. But the minute you, may, you make any kind of contact, it's a foul. And who's drawing the foul? Who's initiating the contact? I just don't know anymore. And that's my biggest issue with the NBA is that, uh, like I said, and I draw it all the way back to this, the opening opening segment here is that it's the rewarding of guys who are out of control that is ruining the NBA and having these guys contest every single call is absurd. And, you know, if you ever watch a game now, look at the fans, every single call for against the home team, the fans go nuts. Even mm-hmm. if it's a clear foul, they're going crazy yelling at the refs. Refs, you suck is the, is the latest uh, fan chant that you'll hear all across pro sports. Well, they're not wrong in the NBA, but I mean, right. in, in the NHL, I mean, it, you're, it's a clear call, for example, on a trip or a, or a hook, and the fans start yelling that, come on, guys. Like, uh, you know, I, and I feel bad. For, I, to a certain degree, I feel bad for the NBA refs because I, I truly don't think they're getting the right information from above. The, the head of league officials maybe is, is a dinosaur, maybe has no idea how to referee these guys because the, the players are so big and so fast. I don't remember ever a time in the NBA – apart from maybe Magic Johnson, where a guy 6'10 can dribble the ball and be your point guard like Giannis Antetokounmpo. Like, he must be impossible to referee. It must be very hard. But Well done for yes. the pronunciation. I've never once got that right. Antetokounmpo? I'll take your word for it's it. A, you okay? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's, not an easy, it's not an easy thing, but uh, the fact of the matter is the NBA has – to really shore up all its practices, if you ask me. So that's that's my take on NBA referees. Uh, that being said, I don't think this series is going to come down to who's who's ref better or who gets better calls. Or uh, it's it's really going to come down to a war of attrition by the looks of it. Now for the Warriors, they're they're hurting, but uh, the referees need to be a lot better, man. Yeah, uh, you know, I something we wanted to talk about was the ref. So I was thinking of why or different scenarios as to maybe a reason as why the refereeing has gotten worse. Um, You know, a few things that pop out for me is, you know, when you talk about a decade, well, decade is not long, but when you think of where instant replay has come in in to sports and how much of a, um, of an, of an improvement in technology to be able to have instant replays accessible right away, have pauses in the game to get the call right. 10 years ago, 
the refs are making these calls and we didn't have high def TVs and uh, instant replays. And you're like, okay, well, I don't know if that was right, but it's not something to dwell on where now if it's a bad call, if it's a call that determines a game, there is an instant replay, there is high definition, there is wicked slow motion, and you know that it was a wrong call because you see all this media that shows you that, where in the split second that the ref is trying to make that call, there is not a chance he can make it properly, or it would be a 50-50 chance. So I think refs are being more and more scrutinized because we have we, as in fans, players, coaches, have the video proof that their calls are wrong. It's not just a hearsay. It's not, uh, uh, it's not just a feeling. So they're getting more and more scrutiny. And I think that's, I mean, that's got to be tough from a, a personal standpoint to be a referee and to say, hey, you know, yeah, I'm taking this scrutiny from everybody. Nobody likes me. The fact that you know the names of some of the referees means they're not doing a great job. It's like an offensive lineman. If you get your name in the paper as an offensive lineman, that's never a good thing. That means never you a gave up thing. a sack or whatever. So you want you don't want to be known. Anyway, I think that's part of it. Um, I was checking out salaries to see if maybe that was there's not enough enticement to have kids be a referee. Um, it's all around. NBA is about five hundred thousand. I think is the. Uh, I think that's the top, which is a good salary, and you get to travel, you get to meet all these stars, all that kind of stuff, but, you know, again, there's a lot of scrutiny that's involved in it, and I don't think, I think that's a bit of a deterrent for for guys. Um, I was actually watching an old NFL quarterback challenge replay on NFL Network, and uh, Jim Harbaugh was playing for the San Diego Chargers. He's one of the older guys. They're talking about how he's 30 six or 37 at the time, and they're asking him, you know, like, how many more years you got left? He says, I got maybe two, maybe, you know, two, three. And they said, what do you want to do after? And he says, ah, you know, who knows, maybe coaching, which, you know, we all know he's coaching now. But he's like, or maybe I'll get into refereeing, like to be an NFL ref. And I thought that was extremely interesting um, because I was wondering why, or I guess I don't know the research, I figured it'd be a lot of ex-players that kind of got into it. So oh, I didn't make it, but I can go and I can be a ref now. Um, so anyway, it was just something that stood out to me because I know we were talking about the referees, but I thought it'd be interesting too. If imagine Jim Harbaugh was the head ref of an NFL game, like he's he's kind of a whack job right now. I can imagine him as a ref. Anyway, well, his time as a QB, he was he was volatile. I think we don't like we, I remember him with uh, with the Bears getting into it with Ditka. Uh, I remember him as a Colt being a Hail Mary pass away from taking the Colts to the Super Bowl, they would have played the Cowboys that one year, the, that Neil O'Donnell threw the interception against Dallas. That was Dallas's last Super Bowl with Barry Titzer, whatever his name is, or Switzer Titzer. Yeah, He's yeah. an absolute moron. But uh, he was a volatile player. Uh, not fragile. I wouldn't say fragile would be the wrong word. I think he was actually a strong-willed guy, but, uh, but feisty, you know, uh, oh, with yeah. a temper. And as a referee... Uh, he wouldn't have taken any shit, maybe, you know, like I think these guys take a lot of shit. And I, I don't know about you, but if I was refereeing and a, and a guy turned to me and said, you know, that's bullshit, you're bullshit, this, that's a fucking foul. And like, and I know, I know in my men's league, my over 40 men's league, if you turn to the referee and say, that's fucking bullshit, you're teed up. If you say it twice, you're kicked out of the league. 
<laughs> so, yeah. you know, and we're paying <laughs> to play. So I, like, I don't, these guys are probably abused. Again, I'm not here to shit on the refs. I, what I'm suggesting is that the way re- the game is played is very, very different. I don't think the refs have caught up, you know, in two, from 2000 to 2006, it was Shaquille O'Neal posting up in the post and hammered, hammering it down on people. You could tell if that was a foul fairly easily, you know, and if he didn't dunk it on someone's face, he was kicking it out for, to Robert Ory and, and Kobe, you know, when Shaq slowly became older and slower and there were really no uh, air appearance, you know, for the center position, they, some people thought Dwight Howard, that didn't fit that fizzled out pretty quick. There have been no great centers since then. Timmy D, Tim Duncan, you know, is a, is a fundamentally sound player. So, you know, he was easy to referee because he was so fundamentally sound in the right spot, good technique, good defense. But the game has changed now where you got, sometimes you got five guards on the floor and it's so fast and it's so quick and guys aren't setting up offense. It's all screen and roll. You know, even the screeners are, are moving their feet half the time. What's a foul on a screen anymore? You know, you're supposed yeah. to be planted and the, the offensive player is supposed to use you, you know, as to set a proper screen, you plant your feet, you protect your jewels and the offensive player is supposed to roll his defensive guy on into or onto you. If you initiate contact as a screener, that's an it's a foul on you. I, I don't think I've seen a good screen roll in. I don't remember the last time I saw a good screen. Maybe Mikhail Burke. I think it's the last time I saw a good screen roll. You know, so the game is quicker and the referees yeah. haven't caught up. And that's, I think, maybe out of all the, all the sports, the referees just have not caught up in the NBA. And uh, maybe I'm biased because I'm a basketball fan. Maybe the hockey fans who, who play and watch hockey might feel the same way about hockey and don't give a shit about NBA refs. It could just be that I'm biased, but you know, the game has, is very, very fast and uh, it's fun to watch. So wouldn't you agree? Oh, it's definitely fun to watch. Um, you know, I think the refs are put in a very hard spot. So again, I reiterate that what Pierre said is we're not, we're not here to shit on the refs. Um, you know, don't hate the player, hate the game. You know what I mean? Like the way these players are, yeah. are, are playing, they flop, they whatever, because back in the day, Guys would start doing that and they would get the calls. So what happens? Every player adjusts and now it makes it even harder for the ref to know what's really a flop, what's really a hit. They're watching 10 guys on the floor battle for position. One guy in the corner of their eye gets, you know, bumped further. It's their initial reaction. Hey, it's a foul because that's, you know, what typically it is. If they flop... You know, it's, it's hard for them to know that. It's extremely hard. Anyway, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we are going to talk game three action. We'll be right back. Woo! All right, Ottawa. It may not feel like it right now, but summer is right around the corner. Are you ready for that new car feeling? Bring your car, your truck, your van, and go see the experts at Specialized Auto Image and let them get it showroom ready. Call them at 613-596-9009 and tell them that the Unsportsmanlike Convo sent you and you'll get 10% off all their packages. All right, and we are back for those... uh, (laughs) It took a lot longer than expected. We uh, had some more technical difficulties. Internet is sketchy when it's... uh, at high peak times and everybody's online and trying to stream the basketball game probably and whatnot. So, yeah. Um, anyway, we got it. I'd have to say, sorry to cut you off. I'd have to say if this was radio, we'd be fired. 
we have a more stable connection because really it has nothing yeah. to do with us. It would, it's the provider and, um, yeah, we would be funded and, and have a, a hard line in. So, you know, well, we do have to get back to at least having once every couple of weeks, we are in the studio together, studio. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but you know what happens with that is that we end up, I end up staring at NHL 19 and you end up staring at it. And then we both look at each other and our competitive juices start flowing. And, <laughs> and then one of us loses and it creates a riff. It creates tension. Um, it creates, you know, like, uh, I also late for work. I was also like three hours late for work that day. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so anyways yes i agree anyways. i have to come into studio with you and uh, and record live it, it was fun too but anyways yeah it's always it's we're, always we're, a good time all right so we are now going to be touching on game three Sissoir. we have uh less time to talk about it so we are going to uh get to it so okay in. pierre you're the basketball yes. expert um between the two of us and uh, game one and game two seem to be, from my point of view, vastly different in terms of game flow, strategy, whatnot on uh, the Raptor side. And uh, I want to yeah. know your take. What was the difference between game one and two? Oh, you know what? Not much. Uh, people, I think, made a big deal about the second half. It was quite simple. The Raptors came out at halftime very, very lethargic. And you knew the, the Warriors are going to make a run. You knew they were going to make a run, whether it was a 10-point run, 8-point run. In this case, it was an 18-0 run. But you knew they were going to make a run, and you had to be able to withstand it. And in game one, the, the Raptors withstood it. You know, the Warriors had brought it to one, to two, I think, at one point. Um, and in game two, they didn't withstand it. And they allowed the Warriors to go up eight, go up 10. And that's, for a team that shoots threes, it's a 10-point lead feels like a 20-point lead. So... That was the problem, I think, with the Raptors. They came out of halftime very lethargic. And there's a couple of things that could have happened. You know, the fact that somebody comes out now, uh, you know, during NBA halftimes in the uh, in the finals and sings, I think in this case it was Flo Rida, that adds another 10 minutes to the halftime show. And guys are sitting around. It's not like football where you could, uh, I don't know, uh, run up and down the tunnel or whatever. This is the NBA. If you sit around, you, you know, you get cold. And uh, sure, it, it applies to both teams. But the Warriors have a lot more experience in the finals with dealing with these extended halftimes. So, you know, uh, that's one of the intangibles of having experience in the finals. So I think, I think that was the case. They just didn't withstand the, the run because, Hey man, the, the, if I'm not mistaken, the Raptors went up 10 in the first half. If not, I think they were up 12 at one point. Yeah, so it was between 12 and 15. Yeah. So the game itself, you know, and they were, they were right there at the end, Brock, you know, they had their chances. They missed what, <laughs> how many shots towards the end? Yeah, there was a lot of shots that were missed. So let me ask you this then. Uh, after game two, you know, from both teams' perspective, I see Golden State says, hey, we beat them. Clay Thompson, who was on fire in the first half, got hurt early in the second half, was out. Uh, Durant is still hurt. Uh, Looney is still hurt. Uh, yet they won the game. On the flip side, Toronto says, okay, you know what? We missed a ton of shots. We let them go on a 20-0 run, and we were still one shot away from tying the game or maybe taking the lead. 
Absolutely. From your perspective, after game two, which team should be more confident going into game three? Who's going to use that as a better positive? Oh, if you ask me, it has to be the Raptors because the Warriors gave up a big lead when, when Thompson uh, was hurt. You know, he didn't come back to the game. Iguodala got hurt and came back, ended up hitting the winning shot. Mm. But Thompson did not come back. So if I'm the Warriors, uh, they gave up a pretty big lead. Almost, almost lost the game to the Raptors. So if I'm uh, taking some positives out of this, if there's a, if a team has sees more positive out of that loss, it's got to be the Raptors versus the Warriors losing game one. The Raptors should feel very confident about this game. You know, the lineups look the same. Clay Thompson is in the starting lineup, but he's questionable. So he could be a game time decision. Who knows what questionable means in the NBA? Uh, Kevon Looney is out for today's game. So is Kevin Durant. I don't. I, I do not see Ke- Kevin Durant coming back in this series. There have been rumors about him coming back in Game Four. You can forget it, okay? I, Brock, have you ever pulled a calf muscle? I have actually. And have, tell me, it was not more than a week or two before you could actually do some physical activity. You might be able to get back and walk on a on a store calf or or, or torn calf even, but to to ask somebody to be athletic on it, whether that means jumping or running or cutting. No chance. No, I agreed. It's been 16 years and I haven't uh, healed. So we're, uh, it's, it's going right? to be detrimental for sure. I, I don't care if you have a therapist 24 hours a day working on your calf. It is what it is. It, it's like a, t- a flat tire. It's, it's a muscle that is maybe the most important muscle in basketball is your calf. There's so much cutting. There's so much. Uh, uh, jumping and you know fast twitch movements that you need your calf. Uh, there's no way he's come. I, I don't. I don't see him. Come. And if he does come back, he's going to be seventy percent of his of himself. And if Clay plays tonight, he's going to be seventy percent of himself. So if I'm the Raptors, I'm super excited about tonight. I, I I'm sorry that they're going to you, you know they're uh, they're hanging their hat on guys being injured, but it's a war of attrition in the NBA. You need depth. The Warriors, do they have depth? I don't know. Quinn Cook looked pretty okay, but he's not Clay mm-hmm. Thompson. I don't think he's going to fucking replicate what he did the last game. Do you? Quinn Cook? No. Uh, he shot very well uh, last game. Uh, mean mugged a few guys, which is weird because he looks like he's about 5'6". Um, That's right. But put him in a role where he's got to produce. He's not just a guy off the bench to give Clay a couple minutes and uh, – um, that's right and expect to say hey there's nothing just don't lose the game for us take your shots whatever now he's he's out there expected to contribute in a winning fashion i don't think he's going to be able to do that the defense is going to be a lot tighter he's playing against guys when clay's off the raps sub guys in too right so the defense is not going to be the same anyway no i don't believe he's going to have the same uh same result as he did in game two that's no. for sure Nobody expected Pascal Siakam to score 32 points again, shoot 14 to 17 from the field and grab 12 boards. I mean, is he good? Very good. Replicating that performance from game one, no one expected it, yet they still almost won. So that, there's a lot of po- – maybe I'm just seeing the, the, you know, the glass half full here from the Raptor fans and from a Raptor fan myself. But you got to be excited if you're Toronto. You got all your horses. You got Ka- – uh, Kawhi Leonard is listed as probable, so there's something there. I think he's got an injured knee. Uh, OG Ananobi is probable. He may get some time tonight at the, at the three spot, but they're, they're all relatively healthy. They're a healthy team. So if I'm Toronto, I'm excited about tonight. They, again, they dominated the first half of, of last game and they almost came back and won 
that uh, that game too. So there's a lot to be happy about coming out of halftime. That was not pretty, and that that cost them the game. All the missed shots. People talk about, yeah, well they missed shots. Yeah, they missed shots. Of course, Bo- both teams missed shots at the end. But coming out of halftime and and going on an 18-0 run for the Warriors is what, what what the difference was in the game. And it's super hard to play comeback in any sport. Let alone, uh, let alone basketball. But like, you go down two in hockey, and then you tie it up at two. You've you've expended so much energy just to tie it. How many times do you see the team that was down, uh, that was up 2-0 end up winning anyways? Because the, the team has spent so much energy coming back, and it's the same in basketball. You, you you know, you go balls to the wall just to tie the game. What energy do you have left in the tank? So anyway, I, if I'm Toronto, I'm pumped. I'm pumped personally because I think they're going to win tonight. But uh, you know, what's your take, Brock? What do you? How do you feel about the game? I know you were pretty pissed off about how they were playing. You were upset about it, how they came out lethargic. But you know, do, do you agree with me in the sense that they came out lethargic, maybe because halftime was a little bit too long? Uh, they looked a little sluggish. Yeah. So halftime for me is one of the worst parts of playing a sport. Your body starts to shut down. It's just long enough that your body starts to be like hey cool good work in the first half let's just start calming down and then muscles start to you know tighten up a little bit but it's uh it's too short to actually rest so the halftime was always something for me i i was never a huge fan of it i just wanted to get in make our corrections make some adjustments and then as soon as we were done that it was like look suit up, put your helmet back on. Let's get back out there and execute what we want to do. So I just wanted it always as a, a, an extended timeout where we can get the coaches from up top in football up in the booth, come down, tell us what they're seeing, draw up how we want to do things and go out and do it. But you know, the sitting around the, uh, you know, the guys, some guys are snacking and refueling and stuff. Sure. But all that stuff for me was just, uh, was bad. It, it just didn't work out very well. I wanted to keep going. That being said, I can totally understand how you come out a little bit flat. Um, I, you know, I would have liked Toronto. If you're going to be flat or take some time to get into it, run your offense, slow it down a little bit to your pace, run your picks, all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, make them work on that end. But there seemed to be a lot more back and forth, at least from my vantage point and what I kind of saw, it felt like we were trying to run with them and, we weren't doing a great job at it. And, um, you know, I felt in game one, again, I didn't go back and look at the tape, but I felt in game one, the Raptors did a real good job of establishing their desired game flow. And you got it. Uh, that's what I want to see tonight. Absolutely. You nailed it. They, they're trying to go run and gun with a team that, that, in, that is run and gun. Like you're playing into their hands. It's a recipe for disaster. If you're Toronto, Slow the pace down and, and and play your game. And you you transition offense uh, off turnovers. Yeah, I'm cool with that. If you get a turnover and you want to run, cool. If you get a rebound off a missed shot and you want to run, cool. But what was happening is the Raptors were scoring and trying to uh, – sorry, the, the Warriors were scoring and the Raptors were inbounding trying to push the tempo. But mm-hmm. that's not their game. If, if you get scored on, give it to Lowry, set up your offense – and away you go and try to make it a few less possessions for the Warriors, I think, because there were a lot of turnovers. And, you know, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, turnovers are going to kill you in the NBA finals. Like it's every possession matters. Every second matters. So they got to they got to value the ball a lot more. They turned the ball over a ton last game and it was hard to watch. You can't turn the ball over against basically the New England Patriots of basketball. 
And mm. I want to leave you with this. If the Warriors don't change their team, if everybody comes back, if they bring the band back for the next three, four years, five years, they are so well coached and young enough to continue this level of play for at least another five years. And that could make them an ultimate dynasty like the Celtics and like the Patriots. Nobody has figured out the Patriots yet. Nobody. And the Patriots plug and play guys that wouldn't make my high school team, but it's a system. And mm -hmm. the Warriors have a system. Would Draymond succeed on, on the Knicks alone? I don't know. He might wither away and, and no one will hear from him. It'll be, it'll be like in Siberia. So what we're seeing now with Golden State is a complete dynasty, but they're on the ropes and they're hurt. And the opportunity to beat them is now, is absolutely right now when they're down and out and hurt. And I know some people are, uh, have debated, well, you know, Pierre, like you want to beat the best players. You want to have them have their full roster. You know what? It's a war of attrition, man. It's a war of attrition. If you don't got the horses and you haven't spent enough money to get a good bench, that's your problem, not mine. And the keys to, to victory tonight for me, Brock, are turnovers and uh, getting Marcus all the ball and Ibaka taking advantage of Bogut. Because if Looney's not the backup center, that means Andrew Bogut's the backup center. So Ibaka has to take him down in the post or take him one-on-one -on -one, and we need points from that center position uh, in that backup role. And then Marcus soul has got to do his thing and take advantage of a clearly out of shape DeMarcus Cousins who played pretty well, actually. So, you know, those are my keys to success. What, what are your keys to the, uh, to the game tonight for a Raptor victory? Um, along the same lines, everything you said is a hundred percent accurate. The other thing that used to irritate me is guys would drive and really attack the paint Lowry and those guys Van Fleet a little bit too. They attack the paint and then they get down there where you think, okay, they're going to go up. You know, they're not really contested, but they kick the ball out. I like if you're going to be aggressive, go to the net and, you know, get the foul, go hard. Anyway, just keep being aggressive. I think in game two, the refs and some of those calls, I think really, you know, when you get one or two calls on some of your stars right away, I think they're aggressing this, pulled back a little bit because they start playing a little bit more sure. cautious. And I think that really affected the game, regardless of what the final tally in terms of fouls versus foul on team versus team. I think those early fouls that were going against Toronto and not against Golden State really affected the flow of that game and how aggressive the Raptors could be. And the, the aggressiveness is really one of their strong suits, especially defensively. Um, so they got to just forget about it. Hopefully the referee is better that, tonight and they can continue to be aggressive. But that's, uh, that's my take on that. Uh, you brought up a good point for a future show when we talk about Boston Celtics and the Patriots. You know, I want to discuss with you what what's in the water in Boston. Why are they so good in all these sports? You know, even talk about the system play with Draymond Green. But is Brady is he even a system player? Because I have my own complaints about that. Um, anyway, I love it. I'm taking notes at the same time. When we bring up different things, these are topics that we can go way deeper in. And Absolutely. I'm looking forward to doing that with you. That being said, what's your prediction tonight? Give me a score. Oh, oh I think the Raptors win by eight. Uh, I'm going to say uh, 102 to 94 Raptors. I think they really, tonight's their night. Um, tonight's the one. I like it. I was going to go, yeah, Golden State under 102. So I'm going to say whatever, 98. And uh, I think the Raps get to about 112. Whoa, the double digits victory. I, 
I love it. I like That's it. impressive. It's uh, they're going to hit their shots. They're going to be put to the line. They're going to hit those, and I think it's going to be a six to about a six point game most of the way, and then at the end of it, they're. Uh, the Golden State will do their stuff, and we'll hit some free throws Woo. and extend that lead. But that's my take on it. And let's see. Uh, hopefully, both of us are right. And, uh, yeah, so we really appreciate everybody listening. We are on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, so please make sure that you subscribe. You rate yes. us. You review us. Good or bad, review us. Yes. Hopefully, it's good, except for my hopefully beard game. Somebody said my beard game was off. Uh, <laughs> make sure you check out... Um, uh, our podcast at anchor.fm slash unsportsmanlike convo. Uh, you can actually leave voicemails and stuff for us uh, there so that we can plug into our podcast. Um, whatever. Reach out to us. You guys got topics, questions you want us to address and talk about. We are all ears. We'll be coming back uh, next episode and we'll be talking uh, some CFL action, I believe, with the Ottawa Red Blacks and uh, Here we one go. of their super fans. All right, yes, and uh, we got uh, WWE. Uh, <laughs> I know it's not your biggest <laughs> WWE Super Showdown is this weekend. We got the Undertaker taking on Goldberg for the first time ever. Bill Goldberg, he's 55 years old and he's still wrestling, folks. And the Undertaker looks like hell. And no pun intended there. He looks like <laughs> shit. Rest in peace. <laughs> That's so bad. Huh? <laughs>